one thing that led us towards the fintech sector was the fact that there are a lot of different segments within the creator economy that's been solved from performance uh, metrics, uh, sharing profiles such as called the media kits, talent management agencies and tools across that are helping with legal processes and um, operational process. But there was no financial tool that solved the burden of creators and certain talent managers. Hello and welcome to the Finterview, a show about the stories of innovators, entrepreneurs and builders shaping the future of our financial world through technology. We're going to keep finding inspiring stories to share with you, so make sure you've subscribed to the show to never miss an episode. Hello and welcome to the Finterview. I'm Daniel Cronin, co-founder and COO of Integrated Finance. I'll be your host today for our Founders Diaries series, where each episode we have an awesome founder share their entrepreneurial journey to date. In this episode, we've got Bobby Abdullahi, co-founder of Lobster Money, a B2B startup looking to solve the problem of financial services for the creator economy. Hey, Bobby, uh, how's it going? Hey, Daniel, going really, really well. Thank you for having me on this podcast. It's a um, very exciting time and yeah, really looking forward to talk more about Lobster Money and the way we're going to collaborate. Yeah, awesome to have you on. Look, before we start talking about Lobster Money, want to know a little bit more about the man uh, behind it uh, or, or one of the men behind it. Why would you be stupid enough to uh, start, a, start a company and deal with all of the uh, pain that that brings along? Um, well, why do you want to do it? That's a very interesting question. I think it dates back to when I was a, a teenager. I've always looked at how do companies get created? I think the first Google search I did was like, what is um, a business and who runs it and how do they start it? And after realizing that entrepreneurs and founders are the type of people that really lead businesses, but also um, very interesting emerging technologies or ideas, it made me realize that this is something I want to do no matter what really industry. So since then, I carried that notion along with me and um, knew that one day I would start a company of my own with uh, magnificent people beside me that uh, would allow me to really push ahead. Um, my background is really, I would say, diverse. I used to study in UAE, uh, originally from Bulgaria, and dropped right, dropped out right after high school, which um, gave me a different view on how to take life on. And I think since then, I knew that I wanted to start businesses, ideas, products that would somehow impact a community or people or technology in a very positive way. Awesome. And so just leading on from that, uh, your your mindset was that of something you'd like to interact with. From from the way you described it, it's having an impact on something that was important to you. How then, if if you think about all of the problems in the world, everything from sustainability and, uh, issues to uh, energy creation, the hype train of machine learning and artificial intelligence through to the, you know, the more mundane, why don't I start a pizzeria and just make my pizzeria slightly better than anyone else's? Uh, why lobster money? Um, what was, what was appealing about, uh, the industry and why have you focused on th this segment of the industry? Great, great question, really. Um, I, I think 
every company or startup starts with a great team in general. So having the right people around you with the right mindset, different various skill sets and background is what led me to Lops for Money initially. So my uh, some of our mentors and uh, partners have really been a, I would say, a catalyst of sort to understanding the creator economy because they're I would say knowledge and experience has been so wide, um, I'd say 10 to 15 plus years, that it's constantly a conversation, no matter if it's casual or professional, that there is an X problem or a problem X in the creator economy that needs to be solved somehow. And that's where we started uh, brainstorming, which was, okay, well, what is the creator economy? Who is in it? How do the people within it interact, be it brands, be it talent managers, be it creators and influencers, or even your day-to-day hobbyist who could be maybe a chef working at a very good restaurant but does TikToks on the site and sells a recipe book. That really drew to me because in a way they uh, create content for a passion and to share with other people, which I think should be enabled and should be transformed in some sort of way. One thing that led us towards the fintech sector was the fact that There are a lot of different segments within the creator economy that's been solved from performance uh, metrics, uh, sharing profiles such as uh, you could call them media kits, um, talent management agencies and tools across that are helping with legal processes and um, operational process. But there was no financial tool that solved the burden of creators and certain talent managers when dealing with, you know, brands or money in general, FX and even credit scoring. So I am brand new to, in a way, both the industries, and I'm just very lucky to have people around me who are experienced in both fintech and the creator economy or separately. And and that's how we really got along. I think that the number one thing is the team. Um, If it's the right team and the right set of people, you could make a hundred ideas. Some of them might not work, but some of them will definitely work simply because of the inspirational, I would say, people that work on it. Awesome, Bobby. First thing I've noticed is I've asked you three, maybe four questions now, and you've mentioned great team three times. I'm kind of getting the feeling that, that part of the attraction of starting a, a, a startup for you is being part of something bigger, even if that's a microcosm of having an awesome team. Really, probably a tortured analogy here, but uh, a lot of professional sports athletes that are involved in teams, when they get asked, what is your biggest regret having left the sport? It's not the successes or, or scoring goals or whatever. It, it's the locker room. These guys all would say the, the environment of a locker room is, is unparalleled. And um, certainly having run uh, a couple of businesses now, the most exciting thing for me is being, being part of a team that is trying to achieve something. In a sport, the goal is extremely measurable. In fact, you have a word goal to describe it quite often in business, it can be a whole plethora of different things, but I just want to drill down. Why is it so important having a team? Why couldn't you just say, screw it. I'm going to do this myself. I don't need anybody. What, what, what is it about building a team that interests you so much? There's many different points to it. I mean, one thing is there are businesses you could potentially start alone, but then you don't get to learn from the knowledge and the mistakes that other people have potentially done. Uh, you don't get to experience their expertise in certain areas where you might be uh, you know, springboarded to a new milestone within your journey. And this is why I think a team is something that's very, very crucial to 
you know, anything such as yourself, you said sports or building a company, it could be really anything. And on top of that, it's the core thing of when you're building a team is what I realize is understanding everyone's goals, both short term, long term, their dreams, their ideas, because from my previous experience of I've had the pleasure of trying to start a few companies before, which have either failed or um, have we've separated ways with previous founders. And that's one thing I learned was founder fit, understanding what are the aspirations? Where do we want to get to? And are we providing the same type of impact that we want to for a community or a product or a technology? This team then also on a functional perspective really helps you execute on it much faster because myself, I'm no, I would say, developer or product expert, but I know the business and operational side. I've had some uh, my fair share of experience of scaling businesses, uh, their technical infrastructure, their process implementation, understanding the uh, relationships between investors and founders. But without that piece of knowledge when it comes to technology and product or the market or the network of when, for example, you're trying to build a creator company, uh, a creator economy company, you don't get as far as you want to. And I think sharing that uh, dream and potential success is what builds a team. It's uh, aligning on a vision so that you can really work towards something great and big. Awesome. And just to round off that point, being part of a team effectively helps you to leverage your ability to deliver a product much faster. Your your team make you more efficient, more bandwidth to go and deliver on your vision. Uh, and hopefully, if you gel well as a team, you guys compound and deliver something bigger than each of you could have done individually. But within that, how do you think about team dynamics? Um, how do you think about conflict resolution? How do you think about the fit is perfect? You mentioned founder fit. So you you mentioned that as the presumably the employee of a of a, a different company where you and the founder maybe the fit was looking at it from that angle how about you as the founder and, and your employees how do you make sure that you guys are getting aligned handle conflict uh, getting desirable outcomes that aren't driven by emotion how do you handle all that that's a, a very very good question which i think i can answer on like several layers but in a way finding a founder is a lot like dating or finding a future wife in a way or you know or husband whatever uh, fits your bill because there are a lot of questions to be asked before even engaging in this type of um you know project or initiative and i think founder fit was discovered initially when i tried to start a project with a very good friend of mine who were still very good friends but we realized that we both had different responsibilities so myself i'm young i don't have a lot of um i would say dependencies my risk appetite is very high. I, I'm, I'm happy to take a lot of risks. Whereas this buddy of mine was, um, you know, he had a family, he had a full-time job and he had a lot of dependencies to take care of. So the risk appetite for him was a lot lower and understanding that early enough was key for us to know how to move forward, be it through, you know, separating and keep keeping this idea shelved or uh, having someone continue this vision regardless. Um, additionally, I've had a lot of like different materials that have helped me throughout time. One of them is called 50 questions to explore with a potential co-founder by first round. Um, I could be butchering that, but there it's basically like a list of questions that go through interpersonal, you know, experience, functional, and 
goal-oriented questions as well. So from things like how would you handle conflict? Personally, I'm a very blunt person. I love uh, going one-to-one and just discussing the problem up front rather than beating around the bush because I think that you are more likely to solve it quicker, um, even though it might seem harsh in some form of way, rather than communicating around for several people or having to, you know, not avoid but shelve a topic due to, you know, separate decision-making processes. And the one thing I use is one of these questionnaires, which pretty much we sit down and be it over dinner, be it over a little meeting in real life and, and kind of discuss our working style. How do we stay productive? How much time is everyone willing to put in? Because right now no one is making money from this and that's not really the goal. The goal is to see if there is some product market fit, if we can launch this without a lot of external funding and get this to um, help the community. Then deep dive into um, experience from sales to marketing, engineering, design, operations, ranking ourselves so that we understand what type of role are we really going to um, undertake as a separate person and how are these roles going to work together. And then the long-term goal is, well, this idea that we're discussing, would we picture ourselves working for it or with it in the next 5, 10, 15 years? What, what does an exit strategy personally look like? Not from a financial or company standpoint, but more like what is your end goal personally? Is it financial freedom? Is it to make um, this type of product to solve this problem because you are facing it? And I think all these questions are important to be asked, especially early to avoid future conflict so that when that conflict comes, you at least might know the answer or the area that you can kind of converse around. Makes total sense. And are you collecting these inputs? Are you asking these questions to define whether you want to work with this person or is it more nuanced than that? Uh, integrated finance has four founders, for example. If, if you had a business with four founders, are you going to say, all right, 25, 25, 25, 25 is, is the equity and that's going to be the guiding principle? Or would you, or are you looking for saying, okay, how much time have you got in the in the example you gave with your buddy, maybe your buddy did not have the capacity to commit 100% of his time, but you still want that person to participate as a founder and you'd calculate an equity package based on time invested or in another circumstance, maybe you'd have a founder who has significantly more capital than you do, um, but isn't willing to put uh, as much time in. So they almost become an investor where they take equity f for the cash or how do you manage all of those balances? Are, are you ultimately trying to figure out, do you want to work with this person? Do you want to work with this person as a founder? Do you want to work with this person purely from a, a, a cash for equity basis? What are you trying to get at by going through this question? Um, the main thing that I'm trying to get out is understand them as a person more than anything. When it comes to equity, as a general rule of thumb, I'm a very like open to basically splitting equity equally because every founder, if they are um, dedicated to this idea and they're going to be here for the long run, they're going to provide their value in a different way. There might be someone who doesn't have a lot of time, but maybe their network and their expertise provides the same amount of value as someone who has a lot of time who's working on the maybe operational side. So when it comes to equity, I think, you know, splitting it equally as founders is important just because retrospectively this might look bad in the long run if someone has then switched roles and is providing a lot more work and then you're looking at, oh, 
I want to talk about my equity package XYZ. So in that case, I don't think that's something that's really to to look at, but it's more to understand them as a person, their goals, their mindset. Um, if, for example, one of the questions that is in that questionnaire is asking, what does an exit look like for you? What, how long are you willing to work into this idea? If someone says one to two years, and then let's say three out of the four founders say five to 10, then there is a disparity there. And I think that opens up the floor for conversation rather than anything to understand, okay, well, where can we compromise? Can we meet down the middle? Is there um, a different type of role that you want to undertake if you want to stay short term? But either way, I usually try to stick to equal um, equity, especially if everyone is aligned, at least on the vision and the product. Makes sense. What is the hardest thing about being a founder? Huh. This is a great question. I would say the, like the fluctuation of just the way the days go by with work and with communication with your team, it, it can be... I don't mean internally, but more like there are a lot of ups and downs when starting a company. Um, I think initially when this idea got started, the idea was very different to what it is now. And that's because we didn't understand the problem well enough. We did not validate it with our potential customers, in this case, creators, influencers, and talent managers, to a point where we were like, right, this is a proper problem. And that caused us to pivot. Even though we focused on this initial problem for maybe like four to five months, which in a sense, it makes you lose time. Regardless, uh, I think that the main pain point is the amount of, not stress, but it could be pressure that you face to meet the criteria that you put yourself to. So I try to uh, give myself high expectations and meet them, and sometimes you might not meet them. And these uh, expectations might hit you like a brick in a way so that you feel like, oh, I haven't achieved X, Y, Z. And I think that is something to really cope with and learn how to cope with. Personally, I, I find myself as a resilient person, but I think that um, it's very important to find your, your, your separate ways in, in how to deal with these hard times. I, for example, would walk around and listen to music um, to, to kind of clear my head. I, I know that once it's a full day of meetings or work, you need a different type of view or opinion that can look at this work or idea you've done and give you some sort of um, feedback. And the best way is, you know, talk to others that are not directly involved or just walk around and let something actually appear in your head that uh, you never thought of because you were so in the trenches while working on something specific. So the hardest thing is the, the, the ups and downs of your day-to-day -day or week-to-week -week work. It, sometimes it can be hard from, you know, finding that product market fit, um, maybe raising investment, getting very mixed feedback, um, I've personally gotten a lot of mixed feedback across uh, the company, a lot of good and bad. And it makes you think, well, what is that ratio? Who is my target market? And uh, doesn't let me, like, I don't allow myself to be discouraged. What is the best thing about being an early stage founder? Flexibility, I think. So with the fact that we got, we had the ability to pivot, you know, three to four months in because we did not raise investment that you know uh, was already spent let's say or half spent we did not uh, build a whole team around a product or idea that was invalidated um and we get to constantly change and grow as we learn more about um, our company as we learn more about our customers and learn more about the product idea in itself so i think the flexibility is something that's super cool and the fact that um it, it runs on you know 
passion and I would say interest to, to be able to continue building forward. So overall, it's the flexibility that allows you to change course of your so-and-so ship throughout uh, your, your journey. I think that's one of the superpowers that early stage founders have that usually go um, underestimated or understated. Awesome. Awesome. I was going to save this question for a bit later, but you've used, uh, you've used the word passion twice now, and that is something that gets thrown, uh, that gets thrown around a lot. A any endeavor, I guess, uh, but I want to bring it back to the business that you're launching lobster money. So my, my life is very exciting, Bobby. Uh, I was at a payments conference about, about six weeks ago. And, um, interestingly, it wasn't actually payments companies there primarily it was companies big enough to have their own internal complex payment requirements so you're talking you know the amazons the spotify's the truly global players that just by the very nature of their size they have a lot of payment complexity whether it's their own treasury operations or often um if it's like a youtube they have a lot of influencers or a lot of creators that they have to pay and um some of, some of I, I won't name the company, but um, they are a famous online brand where you consume creators' content. And they noticed there was this huge surge in in creators who uh, during during the pandemic, a huge surge in creators who wouldn't devote exactly like you said they wouldn't devote uh, their entire career to this, but it would just become a side hustle. Uh, and the degree with which those side hustles would succeed. Uh, went up maybe a notch or two, maybe 10, 15%. And they ended up defining, and this is a really long way of getting back to the question, they ended up defining kind of a new category, not calling it a creator economy. A creator economy, they say, this is someone's job. This is their first job. And the first wave of the YouTubes created a huge wave of new creators. They called it the passion economy. And I thought it was this really, really interesting term uh, when I asked them to tell me a little bit more about the passion economy, and they defined it as the side hustle gone good, but not good enough to leave your job. And there was this substrate of uh, of creators who make a, make maybe 20-30% of, of their uh, income through this. They don't seem to want to take the next step. They seem to quite enjoy having it as a, as a distraction to their daily life. So... In the context of lobster money, tell me, tell me, how does the passion economy play a part in all of this? I'm glad you asked that question. It it, it plays a very big part because um, a lot of, I would say, financial tools or some of the financial tools we see that are focused on this creator economy are really focused on the top tier creators, 5%, 10%, the ones that are making um, a, a full-time wage out of it or even more, um, and they cater to them. What lobster money wants to do is include that passion economy. So... It could be a chef, you know, making those recipes on TikTok every now and then and selling their recipe book. And they are not planning to leave their job because they enjoy being a chef. They enjoy um, working with their team there, um, but they still end up maybe making some uh, capital or just growing their, um, you know, audience as they continue making content. And this is something that Lobster Money overall has identified as key to us succeeding because we want to include not the top 5, 10, 15%, but the 99%, the ones who make maybe even 200 quid a month um, while having their full-time job on the side, all whilst 
allowing them to have that revenue as recognized income from larger financial institutions. Right now, even if you have a full-time job, which helps you with the likes of mortgages, leases, etc., having that extra income layer from YouTube, TikTok, brand deals, whatever that may be, is not yet recognized as, I would say, secure form of revenue. And this is something that we want to bring in is to say, well, the passion economy is not going anywhere. And there are a lot of people that are going to stay within that category of, I'm going to have a job, but I'm going to continue creating content or doing something out of a passion, which may or may not bring revenue. And if it does, they will need a company or a team to support them with this type of task. And the last thing they want to do is more admin. And this is where we come in. We want to solidify um, our positioning as a not financial service provider only, but taking them off through their journey from A to Z, be it that um, staying in the passion economy or someone decides, well, I'm making a good enough income to keep myself going and I actually want to transfer myself to become a full-time content creator and help them get to that next level, be it dealing with their taxes, um, having cash flow provided to them because certain invoices get paid late or all the way to credit scoring them in combination of that revenue as well. So we've really thought about this type of economy and, uh, and the people within it. And the last thing we want to do is exclude them because this is only growing. Yeah, I really love the vision, to be honest. I'm seeing more and more people try their hand at this. Uh, I've, I've, even, um, I've even started to see people who want to move country, pro probably something you, you can attest to yourself, um, maybe not to, to this, not to the same degree, but there are these creators who, on their visa applications, uh, on their entrepreneurial visa applications, under the job, uh, it's, I am a content creator. And for the past 10 years, maybe that's been looked down on somewhat dismissive. For the people um, listening at home, I'm doing annoying air quotes here. But but uh, the, oh, you're an influencer. Uh, <laughs> it really was kind of looked down on and not looked at as a resilient or, or mature way of generating revenue. That has now transitioned completely to uh, kind of a celebrity fanfare about the capacity to earn through through these mechanics and uh it would be super interesting to see solutions like this help to legitimize uh mechanisms of, of income generation and even filtering down to sort of government recognition where you can say i want to move to this country well what job are you going to do how are you going to how are you going to uh generate revenue for this country and 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 uh add to the economy not not deduct from it well Here's my uh, five uh, platforms that I do content on, and here is uh, a record of all of my transaction history and performance there, aggregated nice and neat for you, the uh, border control, to, uh, to, to make a decision. I, I see so many like, niche use cases for something like this uh, that I'd really love to see, and I'll, I'll certainly be getting some of my content creator friends to play around with it. Oh, no, absolutely. I, I think you hit it spot on there, especially with the with the questionnaire about what your job title or job status is. Um, I've had one of the creators we've spoken to um, had a, I'm not going to name which neobank, but a UK-based neobank sent in a, a survey to ask them more about what they do and who they are so they can understand their customer base. And they wanted to click creator. There was not a single job title that referred to anything to do with creating content. The closest one was PR. And I think this is where um, more and more industries and people are realizing that this is not just a hobby, but really something that people live off of and create businesses off of in the future. Uh, as I mentioned, 
it could be anyone with a full-time job that that starts creating content but over time they might create a business that then sell their own products or a course or a platform for marketplace of sorts and all these different little segments add up into this creator economy and i think currently even though it's consistently growing it's still been undervalued because you can't really look at every brand deal that's out there or every business that a creator opens or every you know passion passionate creator that creates content on the side while doing their full-time job so this is constantly growing and i think that visibility is very very important especially around the part when they want to prove that not only are they making their money but it's in a very safe way i've also heard of several you know potential members that once they are spending money with the money they've earned from social media sometimes their accounts get blocked due to and i'm air quoting here suspicious activity so it's simply because they do not understand where the money came from it's not that you're buying bread in a tesco's is suspicious it's more that they don't know how the money came in and whether it's valid real or not and this is where we we really fit in it's in a way niche to this specific community but the community itself is is huge so a question then if we if we take um passion economy as uh individuals who are doing side hustles and creators who potentially have graduated to uh instead of john smith i'm john smith incorporated or i'm john smith gmbh uh are you, are you trying to serve both the individual and the business? Are you making an assumption that it is a business or it's only ever going to be an individual? How do you see that? And if you are going to serve both, how do you have you considered helping the creator graduate from an individual to a business? Absolutely. Um, another great question by you, Daniel. <laughs> uh, I would say that um, we view almost all of them as businesses in some form of way. So the ones that have, as you said, graduated, they have uh, an LTD um, or a GameBH uh, already set up in their name or in the name of their, you know, content creating username, whatever it may be. And they definitely need assistance when it comes to tax, um, when it comes to writing off certain assets and also helping them establish those businesses uh, once they start earning a certain amount of revenue um, aside from their full-time or part-time job. So there are a lot of creators that are still in a way part-time creators and they might have full, um, full-time jobs or part-time jobs elsewhere, but they have an established company that is funneling their different brand deals and revenue through there. So we are a strongly focused to B2B, especially to the individuals that are currently sole traders because the ones that are not um, established as a company um, are definitely or about to be established as a sole trader once they start earning money. Because the number one thing that they will start worrying about is that tax. I, I've known countless of creators who um, have earned a fair, decent amount of money in a year and, you know, spent it on continuously creating more content, etc. However, the tax bill came and that's where uh, things got confusing. And I think this um, graduation step definitely needs to be supported not by simply just, oh, here is your company, it's incorporated by documents, go deal with it, but more like supporting them from their whole um, starting to create content, starting to earn some money as a sole trader to establishing a limited company, dealing with your brand deal revenue and understanding what you can write off in your company and whatnot. Unlike a lot of, I would say, you can call them regular or operational businesses, um, 
they can write off very interesting items, you know, such as clothing, because clothing is important for content. You wear clothes when you create certain content, and then this is part of your work. And assisting them to maximize their value with that is also something that we definitely want to focus on. Awesome. And so let's say five years time, 10 years time, whatever the time horizon you, uh, you and your team mentally have for a, for a mature product and, and you've done your blitz scaling, uh, you're, you're slapping the investors away, uh, who are trying to throw term sheets into your inbox without even asking. What does the future look like with a successful lobster money? Well, this is something that um, I've pondered on for a very long time alongside the team. And one of those milestones would be to be a proper bank, but for the creator economy. So, uh, you know, self we've got our own license, um, our own teams running it, and we are able to provide all types of financial services that a creator might need. So they don't face any types of uh, issues or, you know, problems with other institutions. Additionally, we want to take care of their uh, retirement in a sense as well. So not a lot of them, you know, put money into pension schemes. Not a lot of them have money inside as an investment portfolio. And this is something that I could picture Lobster Money doing, um, taking care of a retirement scheme per creator, depending on how much they earn, allow them to uh, have a good pot saved so once they retire and have a good time they will not you know either run out of money or worry about it um and from you know the earlier aspect in terms of what about creators that are still you know booming or looking to do more we want to actually help them launch businesses you see a lot uh, more uh creators now launching businesses next to i would say business savvy people and other entrepreneurs launching a drink launching a makeup brand uh, maybe it's a well-being and a uh, health kit for whatever it may be. And the creators are usually the image, the brand behind it, the vision. Um, and someone needs to run that operational and business aspect. And we want to help them with that as well. We want to help creators, you know, spawn this kind of beautiful product or whatever it may be um, alongside them and help them market it out to their audience and the rest of the world. So it's it's a mix of being that bank, helping them launch more businesses, and also helping them with their investment and you know retirement fund in the future. One one last I would say rogue piece um, is being an HR of sorts platform where we provide um, payslips because right now as a creator you don't get payslips, so you can't really show off that revenue. You can't show how much tax you've paid, what kind of charges you've you know uh, incurred, and this is something that once we get to that scale that we hope to hit, we will be able to provide to creators all around the world, not just UK, so that once they want to get that apartment, um, be it buy or rent, once they want to uh, get a mortgage, they will be able to show this as proof of income as if it's a real, you know, not, not real, but like as if it's a full-time salary from an established company. I never really thought about that. Um... If you like plot the path of any successful company, it usually goes from one person's idea or or maybe a, a small group of indi individuals' idea through to a small team uh, of founders and employees to a large team of founders, execs, uh, employees to a juggernaut team, yeah, board, execs, upper management, middle management. Uh, lower management and then ICs or individual cr contributors. There's probably a pathway where these people will start employing people behind them and 
I imagine if you're trying to solve for the person to make their life easier to create, the second order consequence uh, or, or second order requirement would be help them run their business more smoothly. You're, you're the bank, you've got implicit visibility of what they can and can't do. And imagine that's some pretty powerful data to be able to support them in the way that a, a challenger bank or an incumbent might not ever have visualized. So I certainly think that's a pretty, pretty powerful uh, way of looking at things. Super exciting. I'm going to say we're delighted to have you on our incubator. Uh, I, I think integrated finance is, is learning as much about the needs of the market as anyone else is about how to launch their product on the market. And yeah, super excited uh, to, to, to see what you guys go in and deliver. Uh, just a parting comments. Is, is there anything uh, else you want to say to the listeners, Bobby? Well, I would just say uh, stick around and see what happens. I'm very keen to be launching our product uh, this year. We aim to launch it Q3 or Q4 this year. And to any creators out there, uh, hit me up. <laughs> I'm an open book and I love to learn more about the economy and learn more about the way um, any creator, influencer, passionist uh, lives their lives to only help them more. So likewise, Daniel, thank you for, for having me. It's, it's also such a pleasure to be part of this incubator. I think I've learned so much uh, around the fintech industry and how to build, you know, the financial infrastructure, which is very, very key to what we're building um, around it. And really thank you and, and the wider team at Integrated Finance for having us. Awesome. Um, Bobby Abdullahi, uh, CEO, co-founder of Optimonic, thank you for, for joining us. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, guys. Thank you.